Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Corta Linhas podcast. I'm super excited to get into our discussion today for episode five of uh, our Portuguese football-related podcast. And we've got an amazing guest on for you today, uh, one of my favorite people on here on social media, period. I've done a few collaborations and podcasts and interviews together. Um, so I'm super excited to welcome my friend Cristiano Oliveira, the co-host of the Benfica podcast on the show today. How are you doing, Cristiano? I'm doing good. Como é que está, Zach? Obrigado por, pelo convite. Uh, thank you very much for, for the invite. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here with you guys, man. So thanks. Yeah, of course. So... Before we begin, can you just tell um, the viewers a little bit about your career and your life story? I mean, do you really want to bore people to death, Zach? <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I think that you have probably the craziest life story and career out of all of my followers. But um, oh, okay, all we're right. gonna save that for the book. We're gonna save that That's for the fine. book we'll, uh, we'll for the New York that. bestseller. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy story, but we'll uh, save that for the Netflix. Uh, yeah, exactly for the series, exactly. But uh, I mean, look, uh, born in Portugal, came to the United States at the age of eight. Um, always been in love with everything football. Uh, fell in love from a very young age with uh, Sport Lisboa, Benfica, Sven Goran Eriksson. For those of you that do follow me on the regular. You guys are aware already that I had the privilege and the honor of interviewing Sven Goran Eriksson last week uh, for a project that we're involved with, with Benfica Independent and obviously Benfica Podcast along with my co-host uh, Alfredo Fumasas uh, for the anniversary of Benfica's um, 117th, uh, 117th year. Uh, had the privilege of, of interviewing him, which is <laughs> for a kid from Gafanha in, in Aveiro, it still doesn't feel real. Uh, been involved in soccer pretty much my whole life. Played soccer. To, I mean, I, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, uh, everything soccer. Um, was able to, I guess, uh, through my my contacts that I made and, and 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 the people that the relationships that I built throughout my playing days, I was able to turn that into, um, you know, uh, I don't want to call it what I mean. Basically, I turned it to 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 sports career, I should say. Right, I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting, got a job at Series XM, and and whatever. Been involved in radio, been involved in soccer, been involved in sports ever since uh, since I can remember. And now here I am. I've uh, been doing the Benfica podcast for I don't even remember now. It's been a while. Uh, talk about uh, you know my first love, Benfica, but obviously being Portuguese and 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 loving Portuguese football as much as I do. Obviously, keep keep a very close eye on. Uh, Portuguese national team and, and and don't like to admit it much, but even, you know, keep, keep a close eye with our rivals, you know, across the, across the town. And then obviously our rivals up North. So, I mean, if you guys are familiar with Portuguese football, you understand about the, the great rivalries in Portugal. Um, and, you know, it's part of, uh, it's part of who I am. It's part of what I do. So I'm ecstatic to be here, uh, share some, uh, a few minutes with you, Zach. Thank you once again, man. And, uh, all you guys that do listen to the podcast and, Keep it up. Thanks for all the support, Zach, and, and everyone else involved in the Cortalinas and BTL, man. You guys do a great job. Just uh, it's an honor to be a part of this uh, this group of spectacular people. So um, very excited for what's going to happen in the, in the near future here with you guys. Absolutely agree. Um, been a, it's an honor to have you on, and we've got a lot to talk about. So since our last podcast with the executive editor of Hickord newspaper, David Novo, a lot has happened in Portuguese football. Uh, on Monday, we saw Benfica, Benfica take a hard-fought victory over Hugh Av, uh, as well as Moninench draw to uh, Belenench at home. And uh, we also saw just uh, over the past few days in this weekend, uh, Passos defeating Nacional on Friday. Uh, sporting continuing their hot streak with a last-minute uh, winner from Sebastian Coat. Then we saw Portimonense uh, defeat Tondela, Porto beating Gil Vicente, uh, Boavista beating Famalicão in a relegation six-pointer, and Monerinche, uh defeating Marichimo today. We've still got two more games left for this um, 
or shall I say three more games. Uh, we've got a game, Hill Ab and Ferenc taking on each other today. Tomorrow, it'll be uh, Belenich hosting Benfica and mm-hmm. Braga uh, going up against Vitoria de Guimaraes, which I think will be a very interesting game. Uh, oh, but yes. arguably the most important fixtures of the past week happened in the Taça de Portugal, um, where Benfica defeated you know, second-tier side Estoril Praia to book their ticket to the uh, final, and they will be facing off against Braga, who somehow, some way, held on with, uh, despite playing with 10 men for an hour, um, and defeated Porto at the Estadio Dragao. So um, I know you have some interesting thoughts on Porto, um, but did you manage to catch that game? And uh, in general, what have you made of Porto this season? Because, uh, you know, we, we've gone from seeing them, you know, take two, uh, ti- two league titles out of three seasons, almost three in a row, uh, to really just falling off a lot. I think that um, if if they do lose to Juventus and, and uh, blow their lead, I think it'll be very hard for uh, Sergio Conceição to continue in this role. Uh, so what have you made of Porto this season? Uh, and, and what do you think of Conceição's job security at the moment? Well, I, I, I disagree with you, you know, when it comes to, to you know, doubt over his continuity if they lose to Juventus. I think he's pretty well secure with the club. I think unless he gets a better opportunity elsewhere, I think he'll be back at least for another season. Um, He's done say what you want about him. I understand his personality sometimes rubs off a lot of people, but he's done a good job with that team. The one thing about Football Club Porto is they've sold tons of players, just like Benfica and Sporting have done over the last decade. Uh, But somehow, some way, he always has these guys playing to the best of their capability. Um, unlike my Benfica, uh, as, as we know, we spent tons of money and there's barely anyone that's carrying their weight, that's punching above their weight, I should say. No one's really out, outperforming what we expected. At Porto, it's, it's another story. Sergio Conceição has these guys balls to the walls week in, week out. It's been a pretty poor season for them, for their standards. But, you know, that's credit to Sporting Braga, who could obviously play with the, any of the, the other big three in Portugal. Sporting have had one of those turn-back-the-clock seasons where everything they've, they, they've touched is, is, you know, is turned into gold. Into gold. Uh, so, tremendous job by them. And it's just, you know, Porto and Benfica, the two teams, they're obviously the favorites coming into the season. They're expected to be right there in the end for all, all the, you know, domestic cups. And um, it just hasn't gone, the things haven't gone right for both uh, the, the, the two favorites coming into the season. But again, I, I still do think that Sergio Cossessan should be applauded for his job uh, at this club. I think, as I said before, man, he, you know, say what you want about Porto. They might not be playing the best quality soccer. This, it's, you know, it's not been good, but they're still right there. They're right now, as things stand, one game in hand over Sporting Braga, but they're in second place behind Sporting with 10 points. Um, so it's, it's, as far as trophies, um, you know, it's, it's going to be disappointing because they haven't won one, with the exception of uh, Supertas against Benfica. Uh, but they haven't won any other, you know, the major domestic trophies of uh, this season. It'll be disappointing. But if they're able to hang on and finish top three and get themselves a, a spot in next year's Champions League, I think, I think, you know, they'll be all right. I think when you take into account what's gone on in world football with the pandemic and how it's affected not just Porto, but, you know, uh, Benfica and all these other teams in the Portuguese league, uh, with the exception of, you know, Sporting, they had at the beginning of the season had a couple of cases. They've been able to withstand it. Uh, due to the fact that, look, at the same time, they weren't involved in European competitions. They were knocked out really early, yada, yada, yada. And so they had to play a game a week. And so they, they were able to withstand that that initial COVID hit. Porto and Benfica, to a certain extent, they had to play in you know, European competitions. Benfica and Europa League, Porto in the Champions League, but still playing a game practically every three days. It was hard to, to keep these guys fresh. And then when you got guys flying, uh, dropping by like flies with the COVID, it, it's, you know, it's been a very tough season for these guys. So. Um, it's just like my Benfica. It's going to be a disastrous season. But if somehow, some way, we find a way to beat Sporting Braga in the Taça of uh, Portugal final, which is our 38th uh, time that we made it to the final, um, if we find a way to win that game and we finish top three and in some way, somehow, 
find a way to get into next year's Champions League. It goes from being a, one of the worst seasons in the history of the club to, you know, not a very good season. So there's still there's still some things to be played for here with the, what is it, 12 games to go in the Portuguese League, if I'm not mistaken. So there's still plenty at stake. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your Benfica right now because it has been a very poor season. I think, especially given the expectations um, that were, you know, involved in the, in the buildup to the season. Uh, but do you see any, any, any reasons for optimism with this team? Uh, you know, what, what would you say are the main factors that uh, give you hope or, or optimism with this Benfica side? Oof. Uh, what gives me hope? I mean, look, uh, say what you want. At the end of the day, George Zuz is still our head coach. He's a guy that's got a track record, a guy that's won everywhere he's been. Uh, knows how to get his teams to play attractive football, knows how to get results. I understand looking back at what we've seen so far in his return to, to, to Sportage, where we figure things have not gone according to plan. I understand the doubt. I understand the disappointment that plenty of fans have towards him, but I still don't, you know, deny the fact that he has that ability to do so. And then you look at the rest of the roster. Yeah, we spend a bunch of money and none of these players, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Darwin has not lived up to expectations. Cebolini has not lived up to expectations. Uh, you know, Luca Walshmit started off hot, then disappeared and uh, he's been battling some injuries. Now he's back. He scored a goal, uh, his very last appearance. It looks like he might get in the starting lineup tomorrow against uh, Bolognese. We'll see what happens. But he's, he's a guy that, to be fair, he hasn't really lived up to expectations. Um, Pedrinho, look, he wasn't a JJ guy, but he was he was brought in this season, so he's technically a new player. And, and he's played well in his few appearances, but for one reason or another, George Zouz isn't really relying on him that much. So don't know if it's because uh, he doesn't trust the player. Just, you know, there's a lot of BS around the whole Pedrinho situation with JJ, even before JJ left Flamingo uh, to come for Benfica, when Benfica initially uh, announced the, 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 the signing that they were going to, to bring in Pedrinho the very following year. Uh, I know JJ had some, some critical comments in Brazil, the Brazilian press having known that he you know, coached at Benfica, they asked him for his opinion, and he said, look, there's five other guys here in the Brasileirão that I would sign over that guy. So I, I still think there's some lingering effects there with, with him and the player. I don't... Uh, you know, I wouldn't doubt it, knowing JJ, knowing the, how stubborn he is. But I do think that to Pedrinho's credit, when he has played, he, he showed that he could be, um, you know, another player, another addition, another guy that Benfica just could count on. But like I said before, for one reason or another, um, JJ is just not thrusting him into the lineup. But it, I, I think it just comes down to that. Um, at the end of the day, these guys haven't played up to expectations. Uh, BZ is a guy, you know, up and down seasons. Rafa up and down. I, I just, I think this team has really been affected by the whole COVID situation. They've been affected with, you know, uh, with JJ has mentioned that, um, you know, he hasn't had the time to, to coach his team and prepare his team. And look, it sounds like an excuse, but technically he's right. If you want to really sit back and look at things, you know, they're playing a the game every three days. As I mentioned before, spoke with the Porto. Uh, Porto, the difference is the coach has been there three seasons. The players are familiar with the system. This is a totally new coaching staff for Benfica, a bunch of new players. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a full off season. Um, or a full preseason, I should say, would do this team wonder, not, wonders, and I'm hoping that's exactly what happens for, for the upcoming season. But as far as this season, these guys just haven't been able to get on the same page. It's just been disappointment after disappointment, the whole, the whole uh, BS uh, with the elections, with, with you know, uh, as you know, Zach, uh, Luis Vieira uh, was reelected once again as, as, as the president of Benfica for the next four years. There's a lot of people that are unhappy about it. It's just right now, there's just too much turmoil inside and outside the club, and nothing has gone right. Um, but at the same time, where the optimism comes in is that as bad as things have come for Benfica, if they get a win tomorrow, um, you know, they're three points uh, outside of the top three. Um, still having to play Porto, still having to play Sporting, still having to play Braga. So um, I, I think they'll still have a chance to, to solidify themselves and guarantee themselves the top three spot coming into next season because we all know Portuguese clubs need the UEFA Champions League, they need that money to come in in order to stabilize the clubs. And after we spent so much money, it's imperative that Benfica do so. Um, so I think those that's the optimism, that as bad as things have, have gone for Benfica this year, Zach, we're still right there. We're still a punch away from, uh, you know, 
being in competition and, you know, as far as competing for one of those key spots coming into next season. Yeah, just to touch up on what you were talking about, um, it's been, like, almost comedic how how critical George Jesus has been of Pedrinho, considering the fact that he really hasn't been that bad. And, and, and also, Jesus has been critical of him since they were – the, since both of them were at uh were in brazil you know just recently uh i believe in an interview today he said that when when the field expands he has difficulties um i'm not really sure what that means but uh, he recently said in a in a game against uh i think it was estrela amadora estrela amadora mm-hmm. Estrela Amadora, right. Well, they're no longer Estrela Amadora. We call them Estrela Amadora because that's a historic club yeah. in Lisbon, and now they joined club, I believe, with Club Sintra. So we don't really know what, the, what their name is no more. I just call them – I continue to call them Estrela Amadora. So I'm with you, Zach. Yeah. You're fine by me. But, <laughs> okay. but, but anyways, he, um, he was shouting out Pedrinho and said um, in, in English, are you a bird? You spend all your time on the floor. Like, and then um, I, there was a recent game where he came off the bench and he, like, specifically targeted him and said, uh, you know, I expected him to provide this impact off the bench, but he didn't give it. Like, I, I'm not sure how much that helps. And I think, I honestly think that um, that that's one thing where I think that both, I think that especially JJ could learn uh, from Huben Amorim because I think he's really one of the most well-spoken coaches uh, in Portugal. He's, you know, always giving credit to his players, always cool and collected. Um, I think after the game against Sporting, after the game against Santa Clara, where Sporting won uh, with a last-second winner from Sebastian Coates, he, Paulo Futer, the Portuguese legend, of course, said, um, that Sporting are now candidates for the title or are now favorites, I guess, uh-huh. for the title. And I believe Amorim said, um, if if we had a footer, if we had a follow footer in our team, footer. we would probably footer. Yes, <laughs> we would probably be favorites, but but we aren't. Um, which I really yeah, he's going to try to deflect as much attention from his club as possible. Um, and, and I don't blame him at all. I mean, it's actually one thing I've said throughout the whole year was that at some point I expect the pressure to mount on these young players and, and it was going to weigh them down. And to his credit, he's been able to keep these guys on the right path, the, the right mentality. Uh, yeah. and, and look, let's not forget one thing, though, Zach, when comparing the two managers, right? One guy's 36 years old, just finished playing not too long ago. He knows what these what today's players really, uh, their mentality, their mindsets are like. With J.J., you know, 67 or whatever, whatever your old he is, right? He's a guy that's yeah. been around the block more than a few times. You're not going to teach, you know, that old that old saying, right? You're not going to teach an old dog new tricks. And look, he's got a totally different coaching mentality, right? He's the type of guy that's always been critical of players. And some guys, that helps out. Some guys need to be coddled. And uh, but JJ has his way about who doing that, things. Who has that helped out, in your opinion, in your in your years of watching Benfica? Who do you think that's Helped out. I mean, I mean to say it helped out. I mean, Zach, look, we we had cases in the past. I mean, there's so many of them, right? Because he's done such a tremendous job in his first stint with Benfica. But you have a guy like Enzo Perez who came in as a right midfielder who had no intentions of staying at Benfica, wanted to keep getting loaned out to River Plate, and then eventually JJ and him had they they had an arm wrestling competition, right? For, for lack of a better uh, saying, right. and where he was able to force his way, and he said, "Look, you're staying with us. We're going to turn you into a box to box." And we know what Enzo Perez has become. He's become a tremendous player. Um, not just at Benfica, at Valencia, River Plate. He's just, you know, that's a guy that at first he didn't see eye to eye with JJ, Maxi uh, Pereira. Same. There's so many guys that we could just sit here. I'm pretty sure I can name you 10 guys and I'll forget another 10 guys. They'd be like, what about this guy? What about that guy? But again, every single player, uh, player's mentality is totally different. See, like you might do well under coach being critical. That might motivate you. That might push you to get to the next level. I, in return, I need a pat on the back sometimes. And you yelling at me and screaming at me might just hold me back more so than it's going to motivate. So every player is totally different. That's where the magnificent coaches, the guys that really know how to get into a player's mind, that really know how to get these players to the next level, they're able to adapt 
to each individual. And you see that with the peps of the world. Even though peps sometimes been critical, some players are critical. When, when he doesn't like them, they say he just ignores them. But I guess every coach in the world, um, I'm pretty sure you can knock them from one thing or another. But I just think when comparing a Ruben Amorim, a young guy, and comparing to JJ, who you know has been coaching since the, the 80s, you know, late 80s, you know, early 90s, where no one gave a crap about the way you treated players. You could call them and say what you want. Nobody was gonna. Nowadays, you have to treat these athletes with kid gloves because everything is just so critical and and so analyzed by everyone and everybody. So uh, it's just different mentalities. But nonetheless, they're, they're two fantastic coaches. And Ruben, the way he started off here at, at Sporting, he had done a tremendous job <clears throat> at Sporting Braga. And then Sporting obviously jumped the line and was able to, to, to pounce on him for 12 mil and, and whatever. After all this interest and late payments, I don't even know how much it's going to be, but that's a conversation for another day. But the fact is that he's come in and he's got these kids playing um, to, to a level that no one expected to see Sporting at this level just yet. Even the biggest Sporting Eases did not expect Sporting to be where they're at today. We all, uh, everybody understood it was going to take Sporting some time to, 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 to develop these players. And you know how it is. With young players, there's always growing pains. But to Ruben's credit, he's got these guys playing at the very top of their confidence. He's, he's done a you know, tremendous job. And, and I think he should be applauded for that as well. But, you know, when comparing the two, man, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think we're just wasting time. It's two different mentalities, two different schools of thought. So, um, I know they're both fantastic coaches. There's a lot of Benficistas that wish Benfica would have jumped the line and jumped on Ruben. Uh, but at the time, we were well served. We had Brun Lodge, who's very well spoken, had his team playing at, at a very, um, you know, high standards, uh, very high level. Uh, and then we saw what happened. The wheels, wheels fell off the wagon, and Benfica has been reeling ever since. Right. Um, there's a lot of pressure from at least from the fan base on George Jesus. And I think that will, um, especially if they fail to get Champions League, which looks very likely at this point. Definitely if they win, if they fail to win the Tasa final, um, obviously that pressure will continue to grow. But do you think, first of all, wh- how long do you think JJ will last at the job? Um, because obviously he had an incredible record at Benfica uh, in his previous spell. He's coming back from a, a year where he was pretty much perfect at, at Flamengo. And he has a very um, special relationship with the president, Luis Felipe Vieira. Um, when you combine that to Benfica's you know, current economic issues, obviously from the COVID pandemic, but, but you know, prior to that as well. Um, do you think there's any chance that he would leave at the end of the season or you feel like they're going to give him another season and then see how things play out? If, if they do implode uh, again next season, you know, perhaps they could do what Porto did with um, Julian Lopetegi a few years back, right, in second, uh, midway through the season. I think in general – There's the- no way they're sacking him, Zach. There's no way they're sacking. He's not getting sacked. In in there's twelve games to go, or thirteen if you count it tomorrow, right? Yeah. Thirteen games to go. They're not sacking him. The only way they sack him, Benfica's got to lose three, four, five games in a row, and then the things really need to get ugly before they get to that to, to that point. He's you, not getting sacked. Too much money. Do you not think there's potential for him to leave in the summer, though? There is potential, of course. There's always a possibility for him to leave. A coach like him with so much interest from from South America. And uh, I know that there's tremendous interest uh, in Brazil to bring him back. Obviously, money talks. Um, and, and, and based on the way the season's gone this year, I think there's a possibility. But again, it, you know, if Benfica win the Tasa and Benfica finish in second place, they get direct, uh, direct access to next year's Champions League without having to go to the qualifying game. Uh, I think JJ is going to want to prove everybody wrong that this season was a fluke. He's going to want to have a full preseason under his belt with all these players, want to develop a team that could attack next season. I think knowing his stubbornness and knowing his confidence, I think that's exactly what, what he'll want. Now, if Benfica wind up losing the Tasa final to, to, to Braga, if Benfica don't finish top three, not even get that 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 third place, which is the qualifying game, which we all saw, it went horribly wrong for Benfica this year against Bauk. We lost 2-1. to one. If that doesn't happen, then, yeah, obviously, I think Benfica and him will sit down and have a serious conversation about him possibly, look, 
we're not going to fire. They can't fire him. Benfica cannot fire JJ. If JJ wants to be back for next year, for his second year, which is he signed a two-year deal, he'll be back. It'll all, it, it'll all depend on how much, uh, you know, how much interest there's going to be from the outside and how much he believes that he could turn this team around. So I, the firing thing to me, Zach, is, is a non-topic. It's a, non, it's a non-conversation starter. Um, but again, I think if Benfica find a way to beat Braga, who have had a tremendous season under Carlos Carvalhal, who are playing terrific football, there's many that will tell you they're the team that's playing the best football in all of Portugal, even though Sporting is in first place uh, by a 16-point gap right now. Uh, no, 14-point gap, and obviously Braga has one last game. So even if they win, it's 11 points. They have a nice gap between them, but Braga's played spectacular football. I think there's another coach that needs to be praised is Carlos Carvalhal. Um, he's, he's, he's just, you know, he's done what a lot of people didn't think he could do, but he's, you know, he's a coach that that's proved throughout his career that he can get his teams to play successful football, and he's doing that. So he's doing that now with Braga. So it's going to be very tough for Benfica to, 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 to get themselves one of those remaining two spots, but I do think that there's still plenty of games to be played. Benfica has to play Porto. They have to play Braga once again. So they hold their own destiny in their own hands. So we'll see what happens. But J.J., um, will have plenty of interest in the offseason as well. I just don't think Benfica will fire him. They can't afford to fire him and pay him and his coaching staff. So that, that to me, shouldn't even be a thought in anybody's mind. Yeah, one of the reasons why I like having you on the podcast is because you have a very balanced view of everything. You know, a lot of people will, you know, blame JJ 100% or blame Luis Felipe Vieira or say that, you know, if we just bet on uh, – only a post in the form of so betting on academy players, everything will go back to normal. And it is a lot more complicated than that. Um, you do have a lot of uh, a lot of players who are underperforming, such as Darwin Nunes, player we featured on the site and who I like a lot, but who frankly has not lived up to the hype so far. Um, but let me get your take on what do you feel uh, – what, what decisions, whether they're uh, using players, loaning out players, uh, formation choices, tactical decisions, what, what do you think have been the biggest things that JJ um, has been responsible for and that has cost Benfica the most this season? I mean, look, at the end of the day, when the players aren't playing up, to the expectations, somebody has to take a hit and it's going to be the coach. The coach is getting paid and he's there to get these guys to the next level. And JJ and every other stop he's been at over the last, you know, six, seven years, he's been able to get the very best out of his players. And right now that's not happening at Benfica. So uh, JJ absolutely needs to look himself in the mirror and he has to take some of the responsibility. I think the president has to take some of the responsibility. I think ultimately to me, the players need to take responsibility. This is a club that, you know, got, Rui Vitória fired. Then Bruno Lage comes in for six months. They were freaking on top of the world, right? Best team in Portugal. They were able to overturn a seven-point uh, deficit to football with the Porto and win the title. Um, and then even so, the next season, I, I said six months, but it was really a year because then the beginning of the next season, the first six months, Benfica went 17-1. and one. They lost the one game to, to, to Porto at, at, at the loose, 2-0, two two but then won every single game in the first round. Then it just came to, 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 to Christmas time, and, and all of a sudden, the team just stopped playing. Then the pandemic situation started and then they came back and played. And then it, these players need to understand that if JJ leaves now, that's three coaches in a span of what, 16 months or whatever it is that have now departed. You need to understand you're playing at Sportly's women figure. You need to play at the very best for every single game, regardless if it's Tasa da Liga, if it's Tasa de Portugal, if it's Liga Nos, if it's Champions League, if it's Europa League, it doesn't matter. These players have to wear this shirt and represent this club to the best of their ability every single game. And, I mean, realistically, look at these guys. Can you say that's been the case with these guys? It has not. Now, they haven't performed to the level that they should be performing to. The coach hasn't used some guys in the best situation possible in order for them to be successful. The president hasn't done some of the things he said he was going to do in order to put this club in the best position possible. So I think it's a collective effort. I just think that from top to bottom, everyone needs to look at themselves and ask, you know, question themselves. What is it that I need to do that I can do to be better? And I think everyone at the club could obviously and absolutely do better than what they've done. So I don't want to sit here and just blame one or the other, but I I think to just, you know, uh, discount, 
that one has more effect on the other. I think it's just a waste of time. I think it's a collective effort by everyone at the club that has not represented this club to the best of their ability. Absolutely. Um, one thing that has been a massive blow for Benfica has been losing Ruben Diaz uh, in the heart of defense. Obviously, we knew that was going to happen. Um, and, you know, in order to, I guess, cope with that, Benfica have brought in four central defenders over the past few months. Uh, they brought in Jan Vertonghen on a free transfer after his contract with Tottenham expired. Uh, they brought in Jean-Claire Todibo on loan. That didn't really work out. Now he's uh, back in France playing for Nice on loan. Uh, they also signed um, Nicolas Otamendi as part of the uh, Ruben Diaz deal. And finally, they uh, most recently signed Lucas Verissimo after um, he lost the... Copa Libertadores final uh, with Santos and uh, bringing him in. So obviously Todibo was, I guess, in one of those one of those moves where it's sort of wrong player, wrong time, you know, or or perhaps right player, wrong time. Because I do think that he's a very promising, mm-hmm. uh, talented young defender, and he's done incredibly well at Nice so far. Mm-hmm. His very first um, game at Nice after left after having left Benfica, he was player of the match. Right. And he's, I like him. <laughs> I was disappointed that JJ didn't give this kid a lot more opportunities. Uh, but then again, he was also injured for a big chunk of his uh, of his spell at Benfica. But then when he did get healthy, JJ didn't play him much. And look, at the end of the day, we had veterans, right? Benfica, you know that JJ loves his veterans. Vertonghen and Otamendi are always going to play. <clears throat> and then he was counting on Jardel, another veteran, team captain. Um, and then ultimately Ferro was still there. So we, we had plenty of, of, of options for two spots. It wasn't that Benfica wasn't well served at that position. To me, it was just you had an opportunity here to develop a good quality young center back, a guy that Benfica loaned out from – uh, Barcelona for $2 million and then had an option to keep at the end of the year for an additional $20 mil. And I think a guy of his quality, right, with, with this p- tremendous potential that Benfica could could have developed this kid in two, three years, turn around, sold him for 40, 50, 60 mil. So I thought it was a great piece of business opportunity here. But for one reason or another, J.J. didn't see him. He didn't fit what J.J. wanted from from his center backs. And, look, he's parted ways. But Lucas Verissimo has been brought in. Has uh, He's played well. He's played really well. I, I was shocked by his performances against Arsenal because I thought it was a huge risk giving him his European debut in such important matches against the team of the caliber of Arsenal that has, you know, the Obama Yangs of the world, the Pepe's pay, pay, uh, of the world, and all those Sakas and and Ceballos and uh, Odegaard and and uh, that's whatever the young kid uh, that plays in them. I forgot his name now. Uh, but they had all these tremendous players with Lacazette, tremendous speed. And I said, wait, giving this guy an op- his day debut in Europe. We all know the doubts got to be creeping in his mind saying, look, I could play in South America is one thing, but Europe is a whole different beast. Man, and putting that player in that situation and him coming out the way he's come out of it, I think it's been it's been magnificent. I thought it was a huge risk, but to his credit and to JJ's credit too, I guess JJ knew the player a lot better than I did. Uh, that he you know thrust him in there and he, and he played well. And, and I think this is a guy that's going to be here for the next uh, three, four seasons. I think Benfica is very well served at that position. Otamendi has, has been our, our leader. He's been our rock. We lost a tremendous leader in Ruben Dier. Everyone sees the effect he's had on Manchester City since his arrival. Uh, but I, I think we brought in another tremendous leader and a guy like Otamendi, um, who's just, you know, as important in the locker room as, as, as Ruben Diaz was. So I don't think Benfica really uh, missed much in that aspect. I understand one guy's from, you know, born in home, right? He's He's been with the club since he was like 12 or 13 years of age. Uh, he knew everybody at the club, knew the ins and outs. And I get that. The familiarity with him was tremendous. But I think Otamendi's been, you know, everything we expected uh, and more. Um, came in and obviously had a hiccup uh, first couple games. But after that, he's been, I think, he's been our most influential player. The guy, um, you know, he's the type of guy that gets his, his teammates to run through brick walls. It's unfortunate the rest of the team doesn't play with the intensity and the desire that this guy plays. He, he always brings the right attitude, the right mentality every game. And I, I look, I know he has ties with Paul Porto, but I could care less. I think he's represented our club 
with dignity and at the highest level of his game, I think he's been spectacular for us. Yeah, I think that Otamendi, you know, going into this transfer, there are a lot of Benfica fans who were complaining that he had history with Porto. And I thought, you know, with all due respect, you're just being ridiculous. Huben Lamorim has history, a lot of history with Benfica. And he's probably the biggest reason why Sporting are about to win their league title, their first league title in 19 years. Um, but, you know, I do think that Otamendi has proven a lot of people wrong. Um, and I think that there's an argument to me made that he's been their best signing so far, um, perhaps alongside John Vertonghen, perhaps even better than Vertonghen. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think that a lot of people, they, they saw, you know, Ruben Diaz going to City and, and doing so well and automatically thinking that Benfica doing so much worse means that it was a massive downgrade. But the fact is, uh, Otamendi has done very well. I think it's, he's definitely surpassed expectations. And um, like you said, a lot of the other players could learn um, from him. Uh, real quick, though, I want to touch up onto Benfica's recent victory over Sturiel. Uh, obviously, a team that's in the second division, but had to knock out some some good uh, Primeira sides to get to the Taça de Portugal semifinals, and that it looks like they're also going to seal a promotion back to the top flight very soon. Um, George Jesus went with a pretty rotated side after taking a comfortable victory in the first leg. Um, and it, it did seem like a lot of players who had been riding the bench for the past few months uh, took that opportunity and, and showed um, what they were made of. I think above all, uh, you, have, you have to take a look at, you know, Gonzalo Ramos, who is, is made in the Benfica Seixal Academy. Um, Obviously, JJ's gotten a lot of criticism for his uh, usage of Gonzalo Ramos, and he opened the scoring uh, just before halftime. Other players, such as Gabriel Pires, um, Chiquinho, Pedrinho. Uh, you, you did have, obviously, uh, Odysseus Flachodimos having started the season as the first-choice goalkeeper, bringing back, uh, getting back into the fold and uh, keeping a clean sheet. So... Did you feel like any of the players, um, you know, even even Waldschmidt, who came off the bench and, and scored in the final minutes, do you feel like any of those players um, changed your opinion or, or staked a claim, you think, to be a long-term starter over the next few matches? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I got from this was, look, Luca Walshman looks like he's healthy once again, and now we couldn't thrust him into the starting lineup and, and, and get the tandem that worked so well at the beginning of the season, which was a Darwin Nunez and Luca Walshman partnership. Uh, to me, it, it's imperative that if you get this guy healthy and get him back on track, because if we're going to fight of, you know, to finish his second or third place and guarantee ourselves a spot in next year's Champions League. We need our players to be playing at the very best of their ability. That being said, everyone else did exactly what we expected. We were playing against second division team Studio, who'd beaten, a, uh, they'd beaten a lot more first division teams on a way to, to, to the semifinal than Benfica did. I think Benfica had only beaten one uh, Premier League team pr previous to that. And they, they, they played um, and shocked the world all the way through the through through the competition. But I think we're just when you come up against a Benfica, a Benfica when they're right and they're playing the way we all expect them to play, it's going to be a very tough opponent uh, for any second division side to beat. And then on top of it, Benfica, we all knew they have a deep squad. So I expected everything that we saw in the game like this. I was happy that we we were able to come away with a comfortable win. Right now, it's about getting wins, whether it's with your main guys, as you know, first-line first, uh, first line guys, second-line guys. The important thing is to change the mentality, change the chip, get the confidence levels up from everybody, from the first guy to the last guy on the team, because there's still plenty of football to be played. And so um, I, I was very happy that the club did so. And, and to see a guy like Luca Walshman get back on the score sheet, um, score a goal late in the first half to give Benfica 2 nothing, a very comfortable 2 nothing lead, um, you know, means a lot. I think to see the kid Gonzalo Ramos, who've been—I've I've criticized him plenty myself—but there's some people who, who've criticized him along with myself uh, throughout most of the season. It was good to see him get on the score sheet as well. 
I know that's going to do wonders for his confidence. Maybe JJ starts to believe in him a little bit more. But right now, our club went through a stretch where every game you guarantee is two goals, right? I think we're giving up two goals. So now it's a matter of we're going to draw 2-2 two, two or win 3-2. And then once we finally figured it out, JJ, which to me was unlike JJ, you look at JJ's teams, they've never given up that amount of goals. And so it was a matter of time until he fixed it, and he did. And credit to him for, for having done so. But now Benfica have solidified things in the back line, and for some reason we can't put the ball in the back of the net. So it's important to get these guys, when they do get their opportunities, that they come up and make the most out of it. And that's exactly what we, what we saw against Trujillo Praia. And so um, it, it pleases me. Uh, I'm happy to see this. And, but you know, it's all about your next game. Let's see what Benfica does tomorrow against Bolognese, uh, B-side, or whatever the hell you want to call the city, whatever the hell you want to call these guys nowadays. Um, it's imperative that Benfica plays well. They get another victory and get this confidence built and going forward because we still have some very important games coming up against the Bragas of the world, the, the Portos, and even the Sporting. I mean, Sporting by then, by the time Benfica plays them, they might as well, I mean, they very well by, 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 might be crowned champions already because I believe this is the second to last game of the year. And right now they have a 10-point lead. So if you go based on that, if they hold this up until then, they will already be crowned champions. But that game might not mean anything for Sporting, but it might mean everything for Benfica, who is trying to secure themselves the top three spot in order to you know, as I mean, I keep mentioning Zach right now. All that matters for Benfica for the remaining of the Liga Norse Campeonato is, is securing top three. So I know I keep talking about UCL, but that's important. Benfica need that money in order to build themselves some sort of a reasonable squad next year and not have to sell off the few assets that they have this year. Yeah, it's been a it's been a very weird season for so many clubs. Um and I think that it's it's part of it is the COVID, the fixture congestion, um, and it does seem like that that famous quote from Arsene Wenger, um, you know, top top four is like a trophy. It seems to ring true for a lot of clubs, including Benfica, including even Borussia Dortmund. Um, uh, you know, you see a lot of these clubs like getting top four and not winning any trophies. I mean, in, in Benfica's case, getting Champions League football and not winning any trophies, that would be... Would be careful, that. Zach. Be careful. Be careful what Benfica used to say that to because uh, okay. there's, very, there's very few Benfica that will agree with that. It's just... Even we, we never celebrate top four. It's just when you look at what's happened this season, how horrific the whole season's been, you, you kind of... The only way to put a positive spin on it is, look... Uh, yeah, we finished top three. Right now, it's just, you know, we have something to play for, which is important, which is Champions League. But don't, don't mess this up by, 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 for a second. It is a disastrous season. We're not celebrating finishing second or third. It's just, you know, Arsene Wenger stands correct. He's 100% correct. When you're playing in a league like the Premier League, you finish top four, that's an accomplishment in itself. For Benfica, having spent nearly $100 million in the offseason with the tremendous expectations bringing in this whole new coaching staff that just won the Libertadores, I mean, anything but first place is a disappointment. So no one's going to be celebrating anything, okay? But we have to kind of put a positive spin on it. The only positive thing to come out of this will be winning the Tasa and finishing top three or top two. Two will be better because you get the direct access. You don't have to play the playoff game. So I don't know many Benfica's will be happy. We'll just be content when you consider the alternative, which was finishing outside the top three. And so, I, I you know, again, no one will be celebrating this, Zach. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, Benfica, this is a massive disappointment, no matter what. When you look at the players they brought in, the expectation was winning the title, and anything besides that um, is obviously a disappointment. I want to get your opinion on a player who is arguably the most controversial player in the Benfica squad, because uh, a lot of people think that he should have been sold after... Uh, 2018-19 season um, but you know the fact is he is probably more consistent he's probably more consistent goal scorer than anybody in the Benfica squad right now um, and he is Harry Seferovic so what is your opinion on Seferovic do you think he should have been sold um, why do you think there's so much anger in the Benfica fan base 
towards uh, the Swiss international. All right. I'll start with do I think should have been sold? Yes, absolutely. The guy scored 30-plus goals that year. I think his, his stock was as high as it was ever going to be, and I think they figured it themselves a, a disservice by not selling him because throughout his career, look at his track record. He never scored the amount anywhere near that amount of goals. We knew he was most likely going to come crashing back down to what – what we've grown accustomed to seeing with the exception of that one year. So I thought it was a bad job. I mean, if he could, I would have sold him. Now, he's here. He's scoring goals. The one thing he's consistent is that being inconsistent. He's way inconsistent. He's consistently inconsistent. But that doesn't take away the fact that he is tied with, with PZ for the league, uh, for the for the uh, lead in goals for the squad. Um, he gets tremendous amount of opportunities. There's a lot of people that don't like him. I've started to defend him a little bit. He's the ugly duckling. But he still scores goals. It's just that out of every five chances, he should be putting away three, and he's putting away one. And so you look at those numbers, they're not pretty at all. But the fact of the matter is that he at least he's still putting them in there where the rest of the guys aren't even doing so. So I defend him for that one reason. For sure. Um, and, and just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, Aposta na Formação, betting on the academy. Um, do you feel like... Benfica has sort of abandoned their recent approach of giving guys like Gonzalo Ramos. Uh, you could even make the argument for Florentino Luis, you know, coming from the academy, very highly rated prospect, now loaned out to Monaco. Um, do you feel like there should be more trust given to um, these academies coming off, coming off the uh, world famous baseball academy? No. All right. No, I do not. No, I do not. I, I'm, I'm a critic of that whole Seychelles mentality. That's sporting. Sporting. Benfica becomes sporting in the last freaking six or seven years where it's worried about developing players and all proud about our players playing in Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barca. Who cares? I care about the players at Benfica. And at the end of the day, best players at Benfica will play. I don't care where they come from. If they come from Benfica signs from sporting two days ago. They're better than the guys on the roster. You play them today. I understand the whole development thing behind it because Benfica needs this money in order to, to, to you know, get the team and, and you know, and develop the debt and take care of everything, the financials of the club. I get it. But it's not every year, guys. Benfica just make a huge mistake. Not every year Juan Felix is going to come out of your, of, of your formation. Not every year you're going to have a Ruben Diaz or not Sanchez. Just because we've had past successes, it doesn't mean that we're going to continue having success in the future. You look at a team that invests three times, five times the money that we do in the youth department and a team like Barcelona, and even they haven't had the success in bringing up players every single year to that rate. You have to keep expectations low. Just because a player comes out of Seychelles doesn't mean, oh, my God, he's going to have to play. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. At the end of the day, if the players are ready, I'm a big I'm a big fan of them getting their opportunity. But if they're not ready, you can't force something. Benfica went a couple of years ago. They started bringing kids up from the B team that weren't ready to play on the main squad, and here they are playing in Champions League football, and then everyone's wondering why we're having horrific results in European competitions. Well, when you're playing with players that have no business being on the field, it's rough to compete with some of these other European clubs. And so I think Mifika has to do a better job of identifying who's ready and who's not ready. And if the player's ready, then go ahead. By all means, invest all your time and energy in that player. But if they're not ready, I don't want to force feed anybody because what you're doing is you're hurting the player himself and you're hurting the club because the results are not going to be what you expect them to be. All right. Fair enough. Um, so I want to dive away from Benfica for one second because uh, we, recent, we recently published an article on BTL uh, about one of the best players in Portugal this season. Uh, doesn't play for one of Os Tres Grandes. Uh, doesn't play for Benfica, Porto, Sporting, or even Braga. He plays for Passos de Ferreira, and his name is Steven Ustakio. Um, he's been, our, I think, the best player in Pepa's team, uh, been fantastic in midfield. So definitely check out Jaime Silva's article mm -hmm. on the site um, to learn more about the Canadian international midfielder. Uh, yep. What have you made of Steven Ustakio? He's been in Portugal for, he's been around the scene, I guess, for a while. Played with Portugal's U21 side. Had that breakthrough season at Chaves before joining uh, Cruz Azul. Now back in Portugal and doing very well uh, for Passos. 
what do you make of him and and do you think he could uh he could be I guess the he'll make the jump if that's your question. I think he'll make yeah. the jump. Absolutely. He'll make the jump. He'll make the jump. The only thing I'm unhappy about Steven Stock is that from everything I hear, he's interested in joining Porto. <laughs> but now all jokes aside, look, he's a quality young player. He's a Canadian that all our Portuguese Canadian friends have been, you know, raving about for quite a while. We've seen plenty of them in the Portuguese Liga. I think he has everything that he, you know, that, 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 you know, to be successful at one of the big three or big four, you want to throw Braga in there nowadays. He has everything to be successful at a club like that. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, will these clubs believe that he has it in them or not? Um, and to see what kind of jump he wants, because I'm pretty sure he's got other interests from teams outside of Portugal. But in the Portuguese league, I have no doubt that this is could be another uh, quality player uh, that could absolutely help out any of the big four teams. And you think Benfica should sign him? Uh, look, I, I uh, do I think? No, nah, I mean, look, I like him. But I, I think Benfica, Benfica should always strive for better. And I like him, but I think Benfica needs to, to get back to the, to the bringing in high-quality players, players that could absolutely take this team to the next level. I'm tired of signing a bunch of good players, but players that aren't next-level players. I'm not saying that's not the case with him, but right now I just think that he'll have a, a very tough – with the Vigos of the world, we have players in this position that are already you know, playing up to the level that he is, or if not better. So I think he's better off uh, – so after delving into Steven Ustakio and how he would uh, potentially fit into one of Ostres Ganges, I want to move on to uh, one of our questions that we have from loyal listener of the podcast, Dieter Van Gucht. And uh, just before we get in, guys, if you have any questions you want to ask us, please feel free to submit them. Uh, we will answer them and get back to your questions. We'd love to debate topics. And uh, if you have any questions and submit them before the recording, we will get them answered. That is a Zach promise and a BTL promise. Um, well, let's go into one of Dieter's questions, which is, if you had a chance to sign uh, one player from each of the um, other top three teams in Portugal, Braga, Porto, or Sporting, and Sporting, so one player from each of those teams, uh, to sign for Benfica, who would you pick? Uh, so one player from each team or just one from the no, combined one, three? one player from each team. From each team. Okay. Well, okay. I, that, that, that. Well, let's go to Sporting. Sporting, there's two guys I would, I would, I would want to sign. One is Pedro Gonçalves because of the lack of goals that we have. And obviously, he's the leading scorer in Portuguese League. So, I think he could absolutely add something to our squad. But that's not the guy I'm leaning towards the most. The guy I'm leaning towards is Nuno Menz, who I absolutely adore. I think he's the best young player in the whole Portuguese League. I think he's got a bright, bright, young, uh, bright, bright future ahead of him. Um, I just I, – I absolute what the kid brings uh, to the table you know, each week. The Porto. It's interesting, it's interesting that you brought that up because, like, when I – when I brought up the um, the Nuno Mendes, when I put Nuno Mendes in my team of the season at the moment for Portugal, a lot of people saying, "Oh, maybe Pitt, you should maybe put Grimaldo or Zaidu Sanusi." Grimaldo, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Grimaldo! Not even his mama would tell you to put Grimaldo in the team of the year. I think that the the opinions of people who who don't watch much. Portuguese football, their opinions on Grimaldo and the people. Grimaldo is the most overrated left back in the whole league, if not the whole world. But that's a conversation for another day. Nuno Mendes is spectacular. I, I think, look, if he's not if he's not you starting left if he's not you starting left back on the team of the year, he's right there in a the conversation. I, I understand what's his name? I forget his act. I'm terrible with names. Zaidi, whatever his name is, he's he's had a what? How do you say his name from Porto? The left back, Zaid, Zaidi. What is Zayu, Zayu, whatever. He's <laughs> he's had he's had another spectacular season, but I don't know. I, I think I think I'll go top top it with Nunu. I think he's he's been you know absolutely fantastic. The poise that he shows for such a young kid, and there's nothing he doesn't do well. He could he's obviously very comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's obviously very comfortable defending. I, I tell you this much. Um, maybe maybe I should let the cat out the bag. He's gonna be my. Uh, 
my pick for young player of uh, young talent in Portuguese football as well, Zach. So, I mean, I, I guess I could advance to that real quick before answering the question regarding the other player. But I think, I think he's, like I said, I think the future is very bright. I would be surprised if he's not in the team heading to the Euros. I understand maybe you're not comfortable naming him the starter of a kid like, you know, Rafael Guerrero. Man, Mario Rui, really? I mean, this kid right here is the future for the Portuguese national team. So I, I would be surprised if he's not on the team. I think he should absolutely be included in the roster uh, that's that's obviously going to compete for Portugal for the Euros. Uh, get back to, to your question at hand. For, for Football Club Porto, if I had to pick a player for me, I'd probably go with Corona just because I like beer and beer is tremendous in a hot summer day. Uh, so I'll choose Corona. <laughs> are, are you referring to the Tecate beer or the Corona beer? Corona beer. Corona beer. Tecate, yeah, the, the Corona beer. Now, I think he's <laughs> he's a good player. Uh, he's, well, not a good player. He's a really good player. Uh, you know, he could obviously play right back, play any of the wing spots uh, for Benfica. I think he'd be a, a great addition to, to any club. And then what? I got to pick one from Braga as well, right? From Braga, I would choose Musrati or Musrati, Musarti, Musrati. I'm terrible names. Because then you could possibly free up Vigo to play the box-to-box role and leave Musrati being the destroyer role. So I think he's a player that Benfica should absolutely have an eye on for the offseason, a guy that could solidify the middle of the field for Benfica in the future. So that, that would be my choice. Yeah, I think Al Musrati, he's just absolutely fantastic. Um, I put him in my team of the season as well. Um, you know, Braga signed him on a free transfer after his contract with Vitor de Guimaraes expired. And he's been just excellent replacing Rob Palinha. Um, Hadn't played much football prior to joining Braga, but I think alongside Ustakio and Palinha, been the best midfielder in Portugal this season. And, um, you know, w- with all due respect to guys like PZ and... Adel Tarvat and Gabriel, I think that he would be a starter from day one uh, on Benfica. So I definitely agree with those picks. Tecatito Corona, uh, most certainly the probably the best player on Porto right now as well. Um, arguably the best winger in the entire Portuguese championship. And uh, Nuno Mendes, Nuno Mendes, another one we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Um, I think I, I can see why Santos would not n- include him, you know, putting him with the U21 Euros and, and, and having Portugal focus on that um, and bringing in someone more experienced like Mario Hui. But I do think that Nuno Mensch is a better player than Mario Rui. That's all it's about, bro. If you're the better player yeah. right now, I don't care what age you have, you have to play. That's, that's the way I look at it, so. Yeah, I think some other people may have concerns that he's really only played as a wing back, but I just look at him and I think I think he could easily play uh as a left back in a back mm-hmm. four, especially teams that have a lot of possession uh and where, you know, left backs don't need to be constantly focused on defending. But anyways, uh let's go into our talent of the week section. Uh you already sort of spoiled your pick. Sorry. But, uh, go it's all good, it's all good. So who Drum roll. Who is your talent of the week pick? Uh, Mario Rui. Oh, no, my bad. Sorry, I swapped. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Nunumens. from Sporting, as I said before. 18 years of age, uh, has played beyond his years. I think Sporting find, found themselves a gem. I think this is the next player to come out of Sporting that, that, that's going to reach new heights throughout European football. I'm just extremely... Uh, you know, excited when I get to watch a kid this age with such young, you know, with poise and in such confidence. Um, it's you know, it's very refreshing. So I think this is my guy. I would pick. He's the most impressive young player that I've seen all year long in the Portuguese football. So Nunes is my pick, Zachary. Very, very good pick. Um, Mario Rui, also 29 years old, but still, still a young talent in, uh, in, in some people's minds, I guess. But um, no, I, I, there, there are a lot of great options uh, to, to go for. But I think if, if I had to go for my pick, um, and this, this was tough for me because there were a lot of players who I was considering um, Hidemasa Morita, 
from Santa Clara, recently arrived from Japan, and he has really impressed me, really impressed me in the game against Sporting on Friday. Um, but actually, one player I'm going to go with, another player who is, is well, who, who is playing for a relegation-threatened team, but has done fairly well this season, um, and that is uh, Ricardo Mangas. So playing as a left-back uh, for Boavista, who, you know, had a lot of investment over the, pri- the, the previous summer. We spoke a lot about that on the last podcast with David Novo. Um, but, you know, Ricardo is a player who, who spent a lot of time at Benfica's academy, uh, then played a bit for, went to Tondela um, on loan, left for Avsh on a, on a permanent transfer. Um, of course, Avsh had a, sort of a chaotic season uh, last season with, with unpaid wages and, and all that stuff um, and, and were relegated. So he recently joined Boavista um, after, after Avsh were relegated in last place. And um, he's, he's done fairly well despite Boavista's, um, I guess, disappointing form this season. And uh, Boavista recently had, yesterday had that relegation six-pointer against another team fighting against the drop, Famalicao. Um, and Ricardo, Ricardo Mangas, um, he, he opened the scoring. And I thought in general he, he played very well. He could have had another goal. Um, as well, and, and in general caused um, Famalicão's right side a lot of problems. So, he, you know, he's a player who I think stands out a lot in attack, and uh, that that's what teams in general, I think, look at more than being able to defend competently. I think it's, you know, what they can do in the final third. Um, so we've seen recently, I mean, Ricardo Mangas, I think scored against Vitoria de Guimarães um, a few weeks prior. Um, so, so he's actually doing quite well despite being a left back um, in the final third. And he's a player who, I don't know, we, we know that Benfica haven't had the best of luck at left back um, over the past year or so. Do you think there's a possibility that, that George Jesus would – would want to bring uh, Ricardo Mangas back to Benfica um, to reinforce that left-back position? I mean, no. I'd, the only way I see anything of that magnitude is if Grimaldo were to leave or, or even the Kinun Tavares were to get some type of surprise shock move away from Benfica, which I don't see either one of them uh, based on the season that they've just played throughout. You know, we've, we've witnessed – I should say, the last eight months. I don't foresee anyone being interested in either of their services. I think Benfica is pretty much going to be stuck with these guys. I could possibly see Tavares being loaned out, but I just think that another year under JJ, I think they're going to be pretty content to try to develop this kid and and get him to play at the level that, that, that you know, he need to be at to play at Benfica on a regular basis. Grimaldo has the ability to go forward. is terrible defensively. Uh, I don't think Benfica is relatively happy with his performances over the last year and a half, two years. But at the end of the day, he's still a big-name guy. He still can, um, you know, put up the, the tremendous performance on any given Sunday. Um, and so I think Benfica, for now, I think they've well served at that position. I'm not crazy about Grimaldo. Uh, but, again, I think for the Portuguese football, I think he, he's, he's, he's more than, than, than fine. Yeah, for Portuguese football, I think I think Grimaldo is definitely good enough. Um, but I also don't think it's a surprise that he recently signed a new contract. Um, I, I think that if he was as good as, like, if he was a Nuno Mendes kind of talent, we would have seen gone. him leave already. Would have been gone. Frankly, yeah, and, and he frankly isn't. So good enough to start for Benfica. Maybe needs some competition. I'm not sure if Nuno Tavares is is going to provide that. But um, you know, who knows? I could I could certainly see Tavares going out on loan. We've seen a lot of um, Benfica Academy players, such as Florentino Luis and um, Tomas Tavares, going out on loan. So I could definitely see that happening. Uh, Ricardo Mangas. I think that 
he, as well as Reggie Cannon, uh, an American player uh, on on the right side of Boavista's defense, I think that even if Boavista go down, I think that they will make a lot of money from both those players um, just this 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 summer because uh, they are two players who who do a lot both in attack and defense, and uh, so definitely two players who who Boavista can build on. I think that with Chiswaldo at at the Helm, I think they probably will end up um, getting uh, managing to stay clear of relegation, but it's so hard to say when you look at all the teams that are competing against the drop, whether it's Famalico, Boavista, uh, Marichimo, Farench. It's it's a, one of the most exciting uh, relegation fights in recent memory in Portugal, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, but without further ado, I think that's it for the episode five of Cortellini's podcast. It was amazing to have you on, Cristiano, and I really hope to have you on again soon. Um, just real quick, where can they find you? And and is there anything that uh, you think our viewers should be checking out uh, from, from your end? I'm everywhere, bro. 10CO10 on all your social media gadgets. Uh, go ahead and you can find me there and follow me there if you guys are into... Benfica, obviously, check out the Benfica podcast. We do a weekly podcast every Tuesday night. It's normally posted on late Tuesday night or Wednesday mornings. It's available for your listen, uh, listening pleasure. So, um, look, Zach, I appreciate what you have done for BTR. I appreciate the opportunity of coming on here and speaking to you guys. Um, and you know anything that, that I could possibly do to help you guys out in the future, I'm always here. Uh, I'm, I'm a happy contributor to the BTL family and um i said it early in the pod and i'll say it again very anxious and excited for the future of btl of what btl and cortalinas could do coming forward so uh keep up the good work my friend thank you very much once again for having me on and uh you know keep doing your thing brother absolutely man thank you to everybody for listening uh we've got a podcast coming up just tomorrow with joe mateus so definitely keep an eye out for that and more cortalinas podcast um, and finally, make sure to read that article that we just posted on Steven Rustacchio. Very good explainer on one of the best players in Portugal this season. So thank you to everybody for tuning in and uh, stay tuned for episode six of Corta Linhas.